0: So here's a trivia question for you today. We'll start off with a trivia question. What is the slogan for the restaurant Olive Garden? What is their slogan? Anyone know? When you're here, you're family. The slogan for Olive Garden is, when you're here, you're family. Which is nice. But it's also inaccurate. Because my mom made... Really good lasagna. But she never charged me $16.79 a plate. Now to be fair, Mom also did not give me unlimited breadsticks. So maybe that's where the other part of that comes in. But Olive Garden doesn't just want to sell you lasagna. They want to sell you family with that tagline. They want to put you at ease. They want to tell you to relax We're going to take care of you. We are going to treat you like family. And that works. It works to attract customers because it it pulls at one of the greatest needs that we have. That need to belong. That need to to be included. That need to not just be welcomed, but that need to be welcomed home. And you realize it, it works because it's probably not accurate. Because there's a lot of people in our world for whom family doesn't have much meaning. And family does not come with those warm feelings that might come with lasagna and unlimited breadsticks. Families are more and more fractured. There are places and there are families that don't feel safe to people. And these commercials with their happy waiters waiting on you and smiling and Pleased to, to treat you special, welcoming you, because no one's going to snap at you here. No one's going to yell at you. People want that. They want that ideal family. You know, there's that story in the Bible where Jesus' family comes to find him. And Luke or excuse me, Matthew tells the story this way. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, your family's here. He replied to the man and said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You ought to be a little shocked when you read that you got to be a little shocked at the way that Jesus treated his family. He said that about Mary? He said that about James? About, about Judas? He, he, he said that about them? But hear it, hear it with the ears of the original audience. Hear it with the ears of people who had sacrificed so much to follow Jesus. People who had been put out of their homes because they no longer shared the same faith as the rest of their family. People who no longer had a home to go home to. People who no longer had those who would, who would feed them. People who no longer had those who would care for them when they were sick. And, and ultimately, people who no longer had someone who would bury them when they died. That, that is the promise that we have in Christ. That in Christ, we have family. And Jesus is saying to everyone who leaves their home to follow Him, He says, when you're here, when you're here with Me, Your family. I wonder how many people in our community need to hear that. I wonder how many of the people around us need to hear that, and they need to hear that from us. They don't just need to hear us say, hey, come to church with us. Hey, 9.30 a.m. on Sunday, you're not doing anything else. Come on and come to church. Why don't you come to church? Not just that we'd love to have them attend, not just that we'd love to have them involved, Uh, but that we want to welcome them home. We want to welcome them as family. And I wonder how many people never hear that because they've never really heard that before. They've never felt welcome in family. Home didn't feel like home. Or maybe even home was a place, instead of family, home was a place of fear. So Jesus calls us family. And in that promise in that promise there is the promise that that in family there is no fear we're going to be in Romans again today we were in Romans 9 last week we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 12 it's page 944 if you're 44 if you're using those bibles in front of you Romans 8 is a great chapter yeah you, know, you maybe go home this afternoon and crack open your bible and just go read Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8 has everything that you want right there. Right there in the middle, Romans chapter 8. You know, verse 28, Romans 8:28. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. What a wonderful promise that is. Uh, the, the very last, well, well, not the last verse, but the la- very last thought in, in Romans, uh, beginning there in verse 37. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through Christ. And the very first verse of Romans chapter 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's just filled with promises. But right there in the middle of it all is the promise of family. Not just that you're no longer condemned. Not just that you are more than a conqueror. Not just that all things are working together just for you. But this all comes together under the umbrella of family. There's this promise that gives us confidence, boldness, and the promise that counters the fear that we might feel in this world. Verse 12 begins, So then, brothers... And when you see brothers, just understand that's language that includes sisters, the brotherhood of all. So now, brothers and sisters. And it's right there. Third verse in. We've already got family mentioned, don't we? We are debtors. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We're going to come back to verse 15 quite a bit today. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That is a tremendous promise not just to us, but a promise for the people around us. Last Monday, I got to have lunch with, uh, with six ladies from our community. Six ladies from the church and from the community participating in Judy's Bible study. We all got together at Lincoln Garden and had lunch. We had a great time talking. I had a great time visiting. I'd love to do that more often. Just Get together and have, have a lunch like that. It was a wonderful time. We got to talking about a lot of things. And one of the things we got to talking about was just how... How angry everybody seems these days. There's a lot of anger in our world. There's a lot of anger in our community. You see see anger all the time. You you go down the street. Someone stops and talks to you and they're angry about something or other. Uh, You you get online. You go to our Facebook page. You go to the Village Facebook page. People are angry. You, you, You go to the coffee shop. I'm betting people are angry at the coffee shop. People are just angry everywhere. Every day you hear it, you read it, people are angry. It's like there's an anger epidemic in our world today. And one of the things I said as we sat there and had lunch, I said, you know, as as I've read about anger, one of the things I've learned is that anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion. There's always something underneath the anger, isn't there? There's always a reason for the anger. Uh, The anger hides whatever is underneath. And very often, what's underneath is fear. And people don't want you to see that they're afraid, and so they get angry. And that holds you at a distance. That keeps you from getting any closer. Uh, the, The fear hides behind anger. They're afraid of problems that they they don't understand problems that are so big, they don't know if there are solutions to them. They're afraid of a world that makes decisions that we don't understand. And they suddenly realize, I'm not in control of any of this stuff. And they're afraid that if you get close enough, you'll see them for what they are. And what they are is afraid. And I wonder how much, how much of that anger that we see in our community alone, how much of that anger that gets expressed is there because... People in our community never had relationships at home where they could talk about these things. They never had the kind of families where you could tell what you were really feeling, what you were really experiencing. And how much of that fear is is because those families never talked and, and because love was never expressed. And so Paul reminds us in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Fear is not to be our experience. You hear that? Fear is not to be what we experience. And as the family of God, fear should not be what we inflict on other people. When you're here, you're family. When you're here, you're not judged by your past mistakes. When you're here, you're not looked down on because of what you're not. When you're here, you're not reminded of how you might have failed years and years ago because in family, there is no fear. And instead, the promise from God is that in family, there is security. Paul uses the metaphor of adoption here. Rather than fear, he contrasts fear with adoption. And again, the second half of verse 15 but you receive the, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but I find that a lot of adoptive families seem to be treated almost as second-class citizens at times. I don't think we do it on purpose. I think it's one of those things where we don't always know what we should say, so we open our mouth and we just stick her foot right in. <laughs> but I've talked to families who have adopted children, and some people say just the most hurtful things. I don't think they intend to be, but they say some really hurtful things. I have, I have some friends who've adopted a lot of children, and every now and then someone will say, well, you had your kids the painless way. Really? <laughs> painless? Uh, something, that, something that happens kind of by accident For a lot of people, they've had to go to court, they've had to file paperwork, they've had to prove to the government that they are capable of taking care of a child. And did you know the average cost of an adoption in America today is $70,000? Does that sound painless? It doesn't sound painless to me. Or even worse, I've had friends who were told, I bet you wish you could have kids of your own. Those are my kids. Those are my own. I chose those kids. That seems to be something that happens in our society. But I've got to say, from everything that I've read about the ancient world, especially the Roman world, adoption was not viewed that way. There was nothing second class about adoption in the Roman world. There was no stigma around adoption. Instead, adoption was an honor. And very often, someone who came from no family at all, someone who had no family, they would be adopted into a family where they could be called a child, where they could receive an inheritance, where they would have a future. That's the the context that we read this word adoption here. Adoption was an honor. You were chosen. You were included. And you were family. And so Paul moves our identity together. Who we are together through this progression you're not slaves but you're adopted you're not simply adopted you are he says in verse 16 you are the children of God you have every right to call God Abba that word that means father you have every privilege given to children the word adoption has has layers of meaning to it on one level adoption is a, a legal term it is recognized in court This person who had no family now has a family. This person who didn't belong to anyone now belongs to someone. Adoption is also, the word is also declarative. It's a declaration. Adoption is a pronouncement in the same way that occasionally I get to say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You know, I occasionally get to say those words. A judge gets to sit there at the bench pick up that gavel, and she bangs the gavel, and she says, I now pronounce you a family. I now pronounce this one family. And bangs that gavel. And as a declaration, adoption is permanent. Adoption is not repeated. Aren't you glad you don't have to go in with your wife, guys, and get your marriage license renewed every few years? You think there's times that she... She might have second thoughts if you had to go get that license renewed. I think there's times when I might, I might not pass the admissions test. I know that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there's a good thing you don't have to renew that. It's also a good thing we don't have to, you don't have to renew the adoption. It, it does, it's permanent. It's not repeated. It doesn't have to be renewed every few years. And so that's where Jesus said, or where Paul says you have confidence with the Father. He's not going to reject you. There is security in our identity as the family of God. (laughs) Verse 15, he says, there's no reason for you to fall back into fear. There is no reason for you to worry. For you to worry that this would be taken away from you. God loves you. He He includes you. He calls you His own. And our world is, is desperate to know that kind of love. Desperate for someone to belong to. You see, it's not about Olive Garden. It's about what God has done for us. And this is us. And when you're here, when you're here, your family. So Romans begins. Romans 8 begins with those words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The chapter concludes with that understanding. We are, now, we, we are more than conquerors through Him. This chapter has those wonderful promises, but those promises aren't just for you. You know, Romans 8.28 is not just for you to hold on to for yourself. These promises are to be celebrated together as family. These promises are to be extended to those who come to us seeking belonging, seeking relationship, and seeking love. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When you're here, your family, and you find security in that relationship, God's, God's adoption of you is not fragile. It's not something fragile. It's not a fragile relationship based on our behavior. If you don't be good, you know, if you're not good, I'm going to send you back. God doesn't say that. And again, verse 15, you have, you have received, you have received the spirit of adoption. We don't have to worry about God rejecting us. And because our relationship is secure, there's boldness in our prayers. We don't approach God timidly as though we have to beg for some scrap off of his table. Verse 16 says that we are his children. Verse 17 says we are his heirs. He wants us near, he wants to give us his blessings, he wants us to have no fear when we approach Him, asking for His care and His presence in our struggles. And because our relationship is secure, there is intimacy with the Father. Again, verse 15, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You've probably heard preachers say before that that word Abba is something akin to our word Daddy. It's something like that. At the very least, that word speaks of of a relationship, an intimate relationship with the Father. My granddaughter Ruby has her first word. In fact, I think she has a few more. But her first word happened to be the same first word that her mother Megan spoke, which I loved it when Megan said that, and it's okay that Ruby said it too. I liked it better when I heard it from Megan because her first word and Ruby's first word was dad. And that was great when it was Megan's. It's it's fine that she says that about, about my son-in-law. But you know what I love, what I absolutely love, is when my son-in-law Ryan walks into the room and Ruby sees him and catches his eyes, and her face lights up and she gets a big smile on her face, and she says, Dada! Someday soon, she will say, Papa! I'm just waiting for that to happen. But I'll settle for Dad. Because you know, her eyes tell me everything I need to know in that moment. Her eyes tell me everything I need to know about that relationship. She loves her father and He loves her. And there is nothing that He would not do for that little girl. That's the relationship that calls us to cry out, Abba! Father! He is the one who loves us. When you hear your family, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided. (laughs) provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We can't escape suffering, can we? It comes. Life hurts. But we keep in mind, this is not just some indiscriminate suffering that Paul's talking about here. This is not just some indiscriminate pain of life that's part of the aging process and part of life itself. Jesus suffered for us. He suffered for family. He suffered to draw us to the Father. Part of bringing people into this family Part of bringing people into relationship with us, with this church, is for us to suffer with them. For us to be there in their suffering. For us to mourn with them when they mourn. Uh, To to, to be with them when they're hurting. When when something has has caused them grief. To, To grieve with them. To be there in their pain, in their brokenness, in their need. To be a part of their lives and part of the solution. Serving them. Sacrificing them so that they know that they are welcomed As family, they are loved. They are valuable. Every day, every day this world throws something at you to separate us. Every day, you watch the news, you you read what's going on in our world, and somebody will come up with something new to tell you that you don't belong to those people and those people don't belong to you. They'll come up with some new word, if they have to, to tell you, don't worry about those people, they're on a different path than you. You don't have to worry about them. And there is one thing that holds us together. And that is the love of God. When we find our identity as family, when we find our identity as brothers and sisters, we find the strength to hold on to each other in a world that desperately wants to pull us apart. And we find that we have a gift that there are others, there are others who are longing for, others who are hungering for. Let's make sure they don't just hear you're welcome. Let's make sure they hear welcome home. And let's make sure they know when you're here, you're family. I asked the ladies if we could sing a song today, and it's a song that you're very familiar with. At least you're familiar with the chorus. We sang it every Sunday last month. It was our closing song, and we've used this one. I remember singing this one when when I first started coming to church all by myself. I have my family with me today. Connor's already left, but that's beside the point. But uh, the, the the words have such great meaning, and the words are taken from this passage. You know the. Chorus, uh, the chorus of the song, The Family of God, says that we are joint heirs with, with Jesus as we travel this sod. You know, the, the line here in, the, in this passage of Scripture says we are co-heirs with Christ. That's where that comes from. But this song is a great reminder that when we, when we take this together, we take this together. Uh, the life that we live is a life we live together. We are the family of God. and We dare not forget that when, uh, when one of us is in need, And we dare not forget that we have that gift, that gift of belonging, that gift of family when someone in our our world, someone in our community, someone within our sphere of influence is in need. We have the gift of family to share with them. You always sit, and Gerald had you sit today, but I can't sing the song Family of God without standing because we've always stood to sing this. And I wonder if you'd stand with me today here, just a moment when we sing. Let me pray first and then we'll stand together and sing. Father, you called us your family. You called us your children. You sent your son, our co-heir, Jesus, to break the ties of death, to break the ties of this world, to break the ties of our flesh, everything that would pull us apart from each other and pull us away from you. And so, Father, when we're here, we're family. I pray we know that. I pray we feel that. I pray every one of us has a story that we can share that in a time of hurting, we were there, there were people there for us. And Lord, I I want our community, I want our world to be filled with more of those stories. I would love for for those people who are hurting just outside our doors to know that whatever their need, whatever the loneliness is that, that haunts them so much, that there is friendship and belonging and family right here for them. We thank You for the bread that reminds us of of the body that was broken, the blood that reminds us not only a price was paid for our salvation, but it is the blood of the covenant. It is the blood of family that binds us together and makes us one. We thank You for those reminders. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.